Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. It's finally happening, third time's the charm. I am at my house, good Wi-Fi connection, so barring any supernatural or intelligence agency disruptions, we'll be fine. We'll get through this and it'll happen. So thanks for waiting this one out. Been looking forward to it for a while. Uh, just for anyone who's new to the show, um, I'm coming up on like 9,300 subscribers. If you wouldn't mind subscribing and hitting the bell, trying to get to 10,000 by May 20th. That'll be two years since I put out my first episode, and that would be a cool milestone to hit. Uh, and if you haven't seen any of my past interviews, go check them out. I've had uh, Ron Paul, Abby Martin, uh, Peter Schiff, all sorts of really great people. have had Dave Smith on several times before. Uh, so I think you'll like a lot of the content that's out there. You can also follow me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for audio versions. And if you like the video format, but you don't want to support YouTube, you can go over to Odyssey and follow me there. One quick announcement before we get going. Uh, Tower Power Hour, uh, that many of you guys know, is a show that I co-host on, has been banned off of YouTube for being too based. So they're over on Odyssey and I am going to drop the link in the live chat to their live show that they're doing tonight. And if you're just watching this after the live show or listening to it, just go to Odyssey and look up Tower Power Hour. They're the only ones there and you'll find them. And uh, after I'm done here with Dave, if they're still going, I'll jump over there and be on the show too. So make sure you check that out. That's the show with me. Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown, Toad, Cole, Jose from uh, No Way Jose, and then Top Lobster joins us sometime. But go check that out. Anyway, without any further ado, we'll bring the man himself into the show, the most consistent motherfucker you know, comic Dave Smith. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm good, brother, and it's good to be with you. I can't believe Tower Power Hour got kicked off YouTube. I'm shocked. I know. It's shocking. So I don't know what... what <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird with these things? Like you wonder where the the future will go, but you, it's almost like you you feel like in a year from now you'd be like, how were they ever allowed <laughs> I know, on YouTube? Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Like I, I remember uh, I, I saw this screenshot recently of David Duke endorsing Tulsi Gabbard for president on Twitter, <laughs> and then she was like shooting back at him, like that she hates him or whatever to denounce yeah. him. And I was just thinking, wait. Wait, David Duke was on Twitter at one time? Like, I mean, it's just crazy, like, how I, far we've come, you know? I remember uh, <laughs> David Duke endorsing Ron Paul uh, on YouTube. Now, this is back, this might be in, like, 2008. Yeah. Maybe, I, I don't know if it was the 2008 or the 2012 campaign, but I think it was 2008. And I remember, like, I, I had just gotten into it and was a big Ron Paul supporter. And I was like, what the f fuck are you doing like please you know it's it, you just feel like if you if you actually support this guy then at least be self-aware enough to shut the fuck up because obviously you're only hurting but there back then there was never even a thought of like oh you could get kicked off youtube yeah. the whole point of youtube was you can't get kicked off of it you know like and so it's a, it's bizarre the way all of this stuff um you know uh you know develops and and david dukes i i remember seeing this video because i used to always back in the day i used to just every single day 
every single day obsessively. I would Google Ron Paul and I would YouTube Ron Paul and I would I would uh, YouTube and then search by most recent, you know, and like see what was the mm -hmm. newest thing, the newest interview he had had. And so that's how I found this. And David Duke had this long video and I was like, why the fuck would David Duke even care about Ron Paul, you know? And then he had this long video where he was like, he loves everything he's saying except the gold standard. Because he's like, you know, he had some point about how you don't you don't really need to be on a gold standard and fiat currency can work. And I was like, oh, I thought your problem would have been like Ron Paul saying that racism is an ugly form of collectivism or something right. like that. But that that wasn't even it. He just made this weird video where he was like complaining about the gold standard not being that great. And uh, yeah. But that was no thought that this this could be banned. It was just like, yeah, it's the Internet. Anyone can do what they want to do. Yeah. And those yeah, days are gone. The thing with David Duke that's funny is like it's almost like they're holding him in reserves to endorse the anti-establishment candidate. And we'll be able to prove that if you do run in 2024 and then David Duke endorses you for president, <laughs> they'll be like, OK, come on, guys. Like This is obviously just a thing to discredit whoever's running against I, the establishment <laughs> i will work hard to not receive the endorsement of david duke <laughs> oh man so what do you think about elon musk buying twitter man um i'm i mean i don't even really like elon musk that much i think he's funny but i don't really care about who he is or like what his personal views are and i don't know why other people do so much it's like okay what seems to matter here is if he's going to actually shake things up by changing Twitter policy, but but what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Are you optimistic, or what? What do you think? I mean, I don't know if I'm optimistic exactly. I think there's um, there's a lot of like to be determined with this situation. Uh, who who knows what he's really going to do? I mean, in in order to know that, you'd have to know uh, whether there will be any last minute crazy business deal things. I mean, he actually, despite what's being re reported, I mean, okay, at least according to Forbes magazine, this is still dependent on um, a shareholder vote at the end of May. Yeah. And now they have worked into this agreement that if at this point, if they don't sell to Elon Musk, Twitter essentially owes Elon Musk a billion dollars. And if they and, and if Elon Musk pulls out, then he owes them a billion dollars. But yeah, if we're talking about Twitter and Elon Musk, a billion dollars is kind of like me and you talking about a thousand dollars. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's not that crazy. It's me or you wouldn't be thrilled to give up a thousand dollars, but it's not like impossible. Um, but it does look like it's going to happen. But so then you're you're saying, okay, if it happens, and if Elon Musk takes over Twitter and is really running everything in six months, and if he's able to actually run a company, which is a very different company than anything he's ever run. And if he really is being sincere and really believes the things that he's saying, and then if he doesn't change his mind and isn't corrupted on all of those things and is going to make Twitter a free speech platform, you know, okay. But that's a lot of ifs. We're yeah. still many ifs away from that being the case. But regardless of all of that, I think this is just an incredible moment. Like it's just an incredibly fascinating moment where the the kind of progressive establishment, which is often called the left, which I think is incorrect, but mm -hmm. the the establishment 
has been threatened, not with we're going to shadow ban, you know, establishment figures and ban establishment figures and we're going to rig the deck against you. They've been threatened with we're going to make this a level playing field and they're freaking out about that. Yeah. And so that in itself, I think, is a huge moment in the cultural zeitgeist. Like, I, I think this is incredible and a really big deal. Um, and so I'm really happy that this whole thing has happened already. What it means in the future, I think, is there's a lot that's to be determined. But I do think I, I love the moment. And there is something, I don't know exactly what it is, but something is up with Twitter. Oh, I yeah. mean, they've something has changed. I don't know if it's I, I guess the most reasonable guess is that they really are. They're they're getting rid of some of these algorithmic kind of, uh, you know, tactics that they have that because they don't want Elon Musk to, to know about them once he gets in there. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some other explanation that I don't I'm not thinking of. But who I mean. Everyone who's not a progressive is noticing a huge uptick in their their follower count, and, and me too. I've I've been gaining followers quicker than I usually do, and it kind of, if that is the case, it it is almost a, a little bit like it's exciting, but it's almost kind of infuriating. Where you're like, yeah. oh shit, would I have been gaining <laughs> followers at this speed the whole time? Because I'd have like a million followers by now if I was gaining gaining them at this speed the whole time. So. I don't know, but I'm excited about it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I wonder how much has actually structurally changed as far as the algorithms or whatever versus just a change in mood of the users. Because like you said, nothing has actually taken place yet, but just the reaction from conservatives and liberals and you know us. I mean, it, it's very interesting to watch. And I, I was getting a lot of new followers too. And some of them were from April, 2022. And so I thought, okay, well, these are probably people just joining because they heard about what happened with Elon Musk or what's going to happen. But then a lot of them were from like 2010 and 2011. And so it was, it was very weird. And I wonder how much of it is just a change in atmosphere versus an actual change taking place. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been I, I haven't tried or I don't even know how I would go about like seeing who the new followers are and when they joined and all that stuff. Um, I just know that the uptick has been noticeable. And then when you see like if you look at the numbers of these big like accounts, it's it's pretty like evident that something's going on here. And I don't think this is all new people joining. I, mm -hmm. I just don't buy that. And if it was old people who are using Twitter again, it doesn't really make sense that they would be all of a sudden following Joe Rogan mm -hmm. or all of a sudden following Donald Trump Jr. or right. even me. Like I like I, I don't I don't know. That doesn't seem to add up to me. I think there's something there's obviously shenanigans going on i i know that um my my pinned tweet which i've left pinned for quite a long time now um like i don't know exactly i could check but it's been m months and months and months and it's like railing against the uh the vaccine passports and i've had i mean thousands 
of people tweet or message me that they've tried to like this thing and their like is then removed. And they've mm -hmm. and and actually the number of likes has gone down. Like it was yeah. it was way higher than it is now. And it's just something's going on there man it's not just organic it's like no there's a, a game being played and I, I don't know but i do think that for people who are like for the libertarians if we if we are like these radical anti-statists who really want this like you know borderline or full-fledged revolution in this country that it is really to our benefit if we are allowed to speak and we can reach as many people as possible. So that's, I think anybody who's really against the current system should be, should be happy with this development. Yeah, it's, you made a tweet that said anyone who's against, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get it verbatim, but something along the lines of anyone who is against free speech is the enemy, something like that. Um, and that's really true on, on, on a couple, a couple different levels, not just because I think it's wrong to suppress speech, but also because you, <laughs> you know, by, by censoring somebody, you instantly legitimize them, whether or not their claims are legitimate. Right. So if you start censoring people who have crazy views, you start giving them some sort of you know, righteous anger against what you're doing. And it gives them, you know, some sort of resonance with, a, you know, people who follow them or whatever. So people can say something that's absolutely ridiculous, but just because you've been censoring them, they double down and, you know, it, it creates a movement. So not only are they censoring you and making it hard for you to speak, but they're also building up people that you don't really want to be popular at the same time. Yeah. And I was actually getting into arguments with some right-wingers because some right-wingers were saying like, we need to start squashing the left now and we need to start like, you know, trampling on their free speech. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, look at the last few years of what the left has done to you guys. Has that made you guys just roll over and give up and be like, okay, I guess I'm not going to get involved and I'm not going to like fight back at all. Like, no, of course not. I did the exact opposite thing. And then, a lot of people who otherwise would never have you know gotten involved in politics or maybe even voted or paid attention to anything because of how crazy things got they were forced into it and they'd also choose allies that they might have not chosen in the past just because things have gotten so bad like in the past they might have thought well you know this guy's kind of a scumbag but you know he is saying this and things are getting really bad and i agree with this important thing so i guess i'll get behind him so this idea that you know trying to suppress or persecute your enemies is going to work out in your favor. I just don't buy that. I think that we, you know, if you look at more than just a two year section of time throughout our history, you realize that by suppressing a certain group, you actually make them stronger and want to fight back against you. And that seems to be the cycle that we just can't break out of, of just trying to destroy each other instead of, you know, removing the structure by which we are destroying each other and trying to live a more, peaceable way we just keep using that structure that already exists and imposing it on the other side and it just gets worse and worse and worse uh do you see it basically that way or what are your thoughts yeah i mean i i think that's pretty much correct and i mean i guess like squashing your enemy does would make sense if your enemy is like a hundred times smaller than you you know i mean if you're like 
you like know, North if you're, Korea or something. Yeah. Well, but if you're like 90% of the population and your enemy's 10%, then I guess you could just like squash them out and silence them and fuck it. Like, what are they going to do? Um, but if you're talking about broadly speaking, the left versus the right in America, and you're, I mean, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but if you're like, let's just say the official reported numbers of the 2020 election, if you're talking about like 80 million versus 70 million, I mean, you're not going to like vanquish the, that other group. And right. so, yeah, I like to me, the way I look at it and especially for people who are libertarians who believe in like human liberty and oppose like everything about the way our society is legally ordered. Um, we're the, the, like a big minority and, but what do we have on our side is that we, we have the truth as Lou Rockwell always says, it's the one thing we have on our side. We have the truth on our side. And so if you have the truth and you're talking about like a fair fight, a fair debate, a fair back and forth. Well, if you're right and they're wrong and you can win the argument, then you're fucking Mike Tyson and they're like some scrawny little eighth grader, right? I mean, what do you think, you know, if you're debating like, I don't know, like if you're debating some woke progressive or some like neocon or a Zionist, I repeat myself, uh, but you know, whatever. Um, well, then you're Mike Tyson and they're a little bitch. So what yeah. do you need? You need to fucking stack the deck more? No, like I think your attitude should be that you can win that fight. And so I'm not trying to like, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with just let them let it be a free, fair system. And let's see, let's see who can actually attract more people. And then on top of that, it kind of it kind of goes to this like libertarian ethic thing, right? Like, you know, sometimes um, people will say things like. They'll, they'll uh, you know, I've heard like uh, progressives make the argument a lot of times before, but they'll go, well, Medicare is like an incredibly popular program. And the, what's the libertarian rejoinder to that? Well, we'll say, okay, well, if it's so popular, make it voluntary. Mm -hmm. And then we'll see how popular it is. You know, like if it's really so popular, then just say to every like young person who has a paycheck, you know, that little Medicare section that's taken out, that's your choice. You can take it out and pay toward Medicare, or you can keep it. And then we'll really see how popular it is. Don't give me these opinion polls. Give me an actual, like, choice for people to make, and then we'll really find out how popular it is. You know, don't don't tell me that, like, we're, like, um, we're, like, legalizing rape and then telling you that the rape victim really likes it that much. No, make it voluntary, and then we'll find out how much they really like it. So in the same sense, if we're, we're talking about these kind of like, uh, you know, th these battles, th these, the, the public square, it's like, well, I don't know if we can't win and we can't convince people, then we're screwed. Now I'm not saying we have to convince 51% of people or 75 or 99% of people, but if we can't convince anyone in a fair fight, then th there's no point anyway. So if we need to rely on all of these other tactics, then we're already doomed. And especially for libertarians, if we think that we're going to be the ones wielding all of this power and suppressing our enemies, I mean, I could kind of understand it. Like if libertarians were like 99% of the population and 1% were communists, and we're like, fuck it, we got to squash out these communists. All right, come talk to me. Maybe, maybe that's true. But that's not the case. We have to believe in our ability to like, win the fair fight.
That's all I ask for. I don't want any of my political enemies to be silenced. I don't care like how far to the left or how far to the right they are. I'd like them all to be able to speak. And I, I think as long as I'm able to speak too, then okay, let's, let's engage in this battle. Yeah, there's also the aspect of, you know, prohibition not working and kind of giving credence to a rebellious attitude against prohibition. So I've noticed, you know, I feel like if racism weren't so, it weren't reacted to so, you know, terrifyingly, you know, shockingly all the time or just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like we need to, I feel like people would almost laugh at it because of how ridiculous it is. But now if someone says the n-word people are just like whoa that's so based that someone would say that you know like it's kind of like a reverse reaction of what the people who hate that so much would actually want so it's kind of like you know when you're under 18 and you're smoking cigarettes there's some sort of exciting rebellious attitude about it or when you're under 21 drinking, you know, there's some excitement to it. But as soon as you're of age, it's not exciting anymore. It's just boring. So you yeah. incentivize people to do stuff that you supposedly hate because of your reaction to it and because of how much you shun people for it. Where I feel like if you weren't so ridiculous, most people would just see how stupid some of this stuff is and just roll their eyes and, you know, oh. laugh it off and move on. I don't know. No, I think you're right, and I think that's um that that's something that I uh, I've I've gotten shit for uh, from other people in our world, um, or maybe in our yep. world. I don't know where they are, but that it's like I'm not outraged enough, you know, like it's yeah. whoever if I'm talking to somebody who's racist or something like that, that I'm not outraged enough at them, and a lot of times I'll I'll be like, well, what would you do? What would you say? Like, yeah. oh, I'm outraged. <laughs> I'm racist, you know, I'm so outraged that you're racist. It's like, okay, well, that's not really an argument. And all that does is kind of signal to everyone that you can't handle what they have to say. And and it's, it's very bizarre. It's like, I don't grant people that much power that if they just say something offensive, then, oh, oh my God, all of a sudden I have to freak out about that. I mean, I don't have to like support them or tell everybody that they're my guy that I'm pulling for, but... Okay, like what? What argument do you have to back that up? That's more how I how I'd handle it, and I think that you know a lot of uh, like I've I've had examples where some people have um like I'm Jewish and I've had people who have said like kind of like anti-Semitic shit, and I'll talk to them and uh -huh. be like, okay, well, what did you mean by that? And what's your argument? I'll go, okay, well, here's where I think you're right, but here's where you're really wrong. You know, that's. And people will almost be like, well, you should be furious. You should denounce them. And you should go, oh, no, that's horrible that you're an anti-Semite. And I go, but what would that prove? Like if someone was making an argument against Jews and I went, I'm outraged as a Jewish person. All that does is prove that like, yeah. well, the Jew can't even handle. Look, right. this is all they have. You know, this is all they have is just being outraged. And you're see, you're not allowed to say this. It's like you feed them more fuel. And it really is crazy that no one's picked up, not no one, but that so many people haven't picked up on this by now. That it's like, yeah, that's kind of, that's where a lot of these groups gain their energy from. If you're just sitting there and what they say just triggers the fuck out of you, then it, it, a lot of people just watching that go, oh, look, this guy can't even respond. Can't even respond to what that guy has to say. 
He's just outraged, but like he doesn't have a counter argument. So I I agree with you. I think that um it's it's kind of like there's a Freudian reality to this. Like when you repress something, you it it reemerges in a more destructive manner. It's right. there's many people who are, you know, and, and there's many people like this, right? Who get banned off of every, you know, social media platform. And then, well, who can they talk to now? Right. Well, the only people they could talk to is everyone else who's been banned off every social media platform. And th are those the best influences necessarily? <laughs> and then yeah. how do they now they have to court an audience of the people who listen to the people who are banned off everything? Well, what what is what's the incentive structure there? Where what direction is that pushing them in? And so if you're going to move this needle more and more to be the, you know, 70 million people who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Well, OK, that's not just pushing a few thousand people in that direction. Now you're pushing like half the country in that direction, not half the country, but half the voting population, you know. So yeah. it doesn't seem good to me. I think we're much better off to go at least with what Elon Musk's stated position is. We'll see what it really is. But we're much better off to go in a world where we go, hey, how about this? Everyone's, you know, short of something like, you know, you're threatening violence or breaking the law or something like that. You're allowed to say what you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So in reaction to this, uh, Joe Biden uh, has nominate or he's he's put nina jankovic in charge of the uh let's see it's the department of homeland security disinformation governance board and this woman used to be an advisor to ukraine on strategic communications and so <laughs> she's going to be out there you know destroying disinformation um so I, I doubt, I'm sure this isn't the first time something like this has happened during a war, you know, um, I mean, during World War II and the Cold War, oh, yeah. I can't think off the top of my head what existed, but I'm sure something similar to this was around. Uh, but what are your thoughts? That's kind of concerning. And it's also kind of interesting, given the correlation, you know, as soon as Elon Musk buys Twitter or, you know, gets ready to buy Twitter, yeah. this comes out like the day after just kind of kind of coincidental, you know, kind of interesting. So oh, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that whole deal? Well, just to your point, I mean, look, during I mean, during World War Two, there were like Japanese internment camps sure, where yeah. they were throwing people, <laughs> you know, without you didn't even have to say anything like you sympathize with the enemy. It was just like, yeah, we suspect you might and therefore get in there. And there, there probably would have been Italian internment camps, too, but there were just too many italian americans well, there, i think there also were they were some. fucking hardcore so yeah i think there were some on the east coast though weren't there some italian? oh i don't even know about that but yeah. those fucking you you know it was a little bit tougher to round up those yeah. italians back then <laughs> um in in world war one they uh straight up locked up anti-war activists and yep. they some, many of them were put in insane asylums many of them were thrown in prison i mean yeah so no it's it's nothing new um but yeah, that's it's it's a pretty dangerous uh, prospect, and it's something we should all be be aware of. It's not a coincidence that it it comes right now at this right. time, and um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, but yeah, this is it's very bad and and very scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so obvious. Like you were 
pointed to earlier that the establishment is just scared of the truth. It's not even of being persecuted. It's just the truth because when people hear it, it, it still resonates, you know, like, I mean, even people who even to people who have been heavily propagandized when they hear just an outright truth, it's pretty hard to deny. Like, you know, that, that's why so many people were transformed by Ron Paul's Giuliani moment in 2000 seven you know i mean there was a ton of propaganda but a ton of people when they heard that they were just like hmm yeah that um yeah that kind of makes sense actually now that well, i think about it that way or like the cocaine moment in 2011 you know in yeah. south carolina or 2012 whatever that was you know like it just the truth is dangerous it's it's treason in, in an empire of lies as and, Ron Paul and, would but, say. well that's right and then it, it, there's also other factors involved in that too right like Ron Paul, even if he had had that moment in, say, like 2004, it probably wouldn't have resonated as much. And part of that is because by the time it was 2007 and he was talking about the war in Iraq, the war was a fucking disaster. And no one could really deny that. Like, it was just, there, there was no question. And, and everything that the regime had told you about it had completely collapsed. You know, they told you Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, but yet we could never find these weapons. And they, they told you that Saddam Hussein was in bed with al-Qaeda, and yet that had been completely disproven. And they, they told you that democracy was going to sweep the region, and oh my God, nothing but terror had swept the region. And so it was, everything was working out so bad. I mean, it's hard for people to remember, but like 2005, 2000, 2004, 2005, 2006, really, really bloody years in Iraq. It was just a fucking disaster. And so by 2007, when Ron Paul's talking about it, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, this is pretty bad. And then in 2008, the economy crashes and Ron Paul's talking about the Federal Reserve and people are like, well, I'm listening. You know, try telling them that in 2005 when, you know, mm -hmm. oh, my God, this housing market's going to be a, a nightmare. Peter Schiff was out there telling people in 2005, 2006, yeah. it's a nightmare. And they were like, what are you talking about? My yeah. house went up 12 percent last year, you know. So once there's the disaster then telling the truth is even more dangerous. And so that I think is what's going on right now is that mm -hmm. everyone looks around and they see like, oh, none of this is working out. And with all the COVID stuff just being completely, you know, I mean, Jesus, everything over the last two years where they've completely reshaped American society has, it's all fallen apart. You know, we're supposed to believe, oh, now we can take our masks off on airplanes? Uh, all right, yeah. I guess we can. <laughs> it's, you know, oh, the pandemic's over? Okay. Or even though everyone knows at this point that the vaccine wasn't what it was sold as being, that lockdowns didn't work, all this stuff. So that's when, right now, the moment we're in is when it's most, it's particularly dangerous for them to allow the truth to be told. And, you know, Again, like the point I was trying to make with that Medicare example before is that like so in the Ron Paul days, our biggest like thing was, well, they won't let him speak and they won't get they're blacking him out in the media, even though he's drawing these huge crowds and breaking fundraising records and all this. And all we wanted was an opportunity. And that's all I think we should want. And if we get that opportunity and we still can't convince enough people, then fuck it. Then we can't do it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, in the, in the same way that, like, if you made Medicare voluntary and everyone still wanted to fucking give their money up to the government, you'd go, well, shit, I mean, all right, I guess we're wrong. Like, all all I'm looking for here is a fair fight. And I think that uh, if we get the fair fight, we win. So 
that's yeah. I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, we're both in a Facebook group and you posted something asking you know how people have felt their message resonating or how they feel like the libertarian message is resonating when they share it and you you said like going on Glenn Beck and you know these big shows that you you feel really positive about it and I've noticed that too you know a lot of us are on Twitter and we live in sort of an echo chamber on Twitter of people who have been around libertarianism for a while. So a lot of people are getting sick of it and moving on, trying something else. But once you get out of that bubble, like if you talk to random people who aren't politically involved at all, I mean, they, they really want to hear what you have to say and they totally realize what we've been doing doesn't work and they really want to try something new. Um, I was just hanging out with my uncle the last couple of days and uh, he, I, I'm quitting my job here in about a month, moving back to New Hampshire. So he wanted to come ride in the truck, uh, just once before I left. Cause he lives in Colorado next state over. And, you know, we were talking about libertarian ideas in the economy. Uh, he's a, he's a businessman. So, you know, you got to know the way to talk to people differently or whatever. Sure. So I went at the economy angle and pretty much everything I said about the economy, he basically agreed with. And then we started getting into foreign policy and police reform. And because I built that bridge on the economy, he was like, yeah, you know, that does make sense. And these other things make a little bit of sense. I don't like the way they sound, but they do make sense. So I have to start thinking about that. But I feel like you're right. If this message gets out to a lot of people who haven't been, you know, inundated with loser brigade tweets for years or whatever, and they don't know about the drama in the Libertarian Party, like, those people are really ripe for this message, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the, the drama in the Libertarian Party is completely meaningless. And the loser brigade are completely meaningless. Yes, that has nothing to do with anything that's real in real life. Okay. And I'll tell you that, I, like, I go on on shows with like millions of people listening to them, and the people are very receptive to this message yeah. right now. And one of the things that like bugs me is when people have the attitude that like, um, and this is not just, you know, these people I love who have this attitude where they're like, ah, look, like the masses are never going to be convinced of libertarianism, and and you know, and I'm like, okay, well. The masses, I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what percentage of the population could be convinced. But the truth is, the vast majority of the population, they're not convinced of anything. They just kind of go along with whatever the thing is. Yeah. That's why you have red states and blue states. Because, yep. like, most people just go along with whatever it is. It's like, I don't know, my dad's a Republican and his dad's a Republican, so I'm a Republican. Like, that's, that's how people work. And that's not even, like, an insult to those people. People, those people might be really uh, like independent and creative in other ways. I don't know. They might be the best fucking plumber in their area, and they just don't think about politics that much. Yeah. You know, like so fine. But I just know that Ron Paul got in front of millions of people and told the real hardcore libertarian truth, and it inspired enormous enthusiasm converted millions of people to our cause, generated like all of this hype. And since then, we've really not had it. That, that's it. 
that's like the only guy in the last yeah. 40 years who's done it. And now I'm getting on these like big platforms and like some other libertarians are starting to get on big platforms and they generate enormous interest. And a lot of people like every time I go on one of these huge shows, they're like the, the response is overwhelmingly positive. So who's to say that we couldn't generate like way more? I mean, I don't know what the ceiling is, but it's way higher than what we've achieved. So let's fucking attempt it. And all this other shit, like, you know, we get drawn into, I'm as guilty as anyone of getting drawn into it, but it's all fucking irrelevant. None yeah. of it means anything. What matters is that we're, we're now living in an environment. I just want to say when I accidentally post a video having something to do with it, like one of my friends will message me and was like, what was that last video you did about? Like, I don't even get it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have done it. Sorry. So like, well, I almost, <laughs> almost, I almost never talk about this. Like I'll, I'll talk about the lib the LP, like internal drama on like, maybe like on a libertarian page yeah. or maybe like, you know, with you like on this podcast or like in, in situations like that. But mm -hmm. I never, I mean, maybe like a couple episodes of my podcast ever have been yeah. spent on this and then um and it's and it's usually like with an intended goal like to rally libertarians to be like hey let's fuck these guys up and go take this thing over you know what i mean yeah. like it's usually like with that but if i'm on a huge platform that'll never come up it's never because right. no one cares yeah the, the reality is that americans are living in an environment now where they the they've had two years of the most restrictive authoritarian government policies that they've ever seen in their lives for most Americans, you know, they've never been like deemed non-essential and made it illegal for them to go to work and then required to have a vaccine to work and like all these different things. Um, and now they've seen that that's all a complete failure and it's wreaked nothing but havoc and, and destruction. Um, they see that their their dollar is being destroyed, whether they look at it that way or not. They see that prices everywhere are going through the roof. They see like all these things. And we have a, a great message to go talk to these people about, you know? And so who cares about all of this other shit? What's important is that libertarians are like able to kind of connect with real people. Like if you really care about these ideas, then it's incumbent on you to find a way to express them in a way that someone else might actually get on board with. And, and maybe we can actually manifest this into reality in whatever way that we're able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get into what the title of this episode implies. And um, it's really disturbing to me how many people in the libertarian community, but also just across the board, desire a villain to demonize to you know whether or not it absolves them of any particular responsibilities you know sometimes that's why you like to have an enemy because you could say oh this is all their fault or whatever this is why this is all happening but people don't even necessarily need that they just like to pile on top of people and they like to believe bad things about anyone and I've been accused of stuff before that I didn't do, and I'm not going to bring the details of it up because I don't want to unearth it again. But I was fortunate that, you know, lots of people just didn't pile on me and believe all of it. And I know you've been accused of stuff, too. And Josh Smith, lots of people in the liberty community. But what have I been accused of? <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> but, you know, this kind of bleeds over into... Um, you know, believing what you hear the CIA say about 
what the Chinese are doing in their own country or what Russia is doing to Ukrainians or whatever. And I notice it's a lot of the same people who instantly kind of pile on with the accusations towards someone they don't like. They're also the type of people who tend to believe propaganda or not, you know, look at it with a grain of salt. And I think that's very interesting. Um, but what do you think about that? Why do you think that correlation exists? Is it just lack of critical thinking and, you know, just a, a primal instinct to have an enemy? What do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all of those things. I think that also, um, particularly like the outrage culture is a very seductive thing for people who don't have a lot that they feel good about, about themselves, you know, and yeah. can kind of like, well, it, I'm the good guy now because I'm so outraged about this really bad guy. Um, That's and very so true. Yeah. they can kind of jump on that train. I mean, I, you know, you see this a lot all in all throughout like our American culture today. It's really sad. Um, and I also think that, I mean, truthfully, I think that the lack of, um, like, uh, traditional family values has a lot to do with this. I think that when you have a family and I'm, I'm speaking as somebody who is like a very, like I, I was a degenerate and like, you know, was very much like everything that you would think a typical kind of, you know, I don't know. Pothead comedian loser. Yes. Type. Yeah. yeah the, like, yeah, exactly. Every, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. That you would, the, all of those descriptions, what you would think they would be. And it's very easy when you're doing that to be completely validated by external factors. But when you have a family, it's all of that seems to kind of fade away. And it's just not as important. It's not as important as your kind of internal, you know, family unit. And there's a lot of people, this is why you see like the crazy cat lady who's like in her fifties is the one who's always outraged at everybody else. You know, yeah. like it's just, this is kind her of cats a, aren't enough for validation. Yeah, it's yeah. a psychological <laughs> phenomenon here. And, and you see this a lot. It's, it's a very common thing where people who are not, I think really happy with themselves are the quickest ones to jump on the, let's go crucify this guy train, you know? And in the same way that the closeted gay senator is the one who's leading the like you know charge against the homos yeah right because well that absolves himself of any suspicion right mm. now who would question me i'm the head anti-homo senator right no one would be looking at me and then that guy gets busted like blowing some dude in an airport bathroom or something you know so mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of that dynamic but in general i think that um there's it's important for people to always focus on like what's really going on here what's a distraction what's a real genuine outrage because there are genuine outrages that we should all be you know up in arms about um but that just just throw it through like your own have like your own internal test about these things to make sure that you're really outraged about something that's worth it and you've run this through like at least a little bit of a you know a test to make sure it's not bullshit Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, it's fun. I, I consider myself an atheist, but I'm really an agnostic. You know, I think we're all agnostic to a certain point. But 
the reason I call myself an atheist is because I like really think the idea of a personal God is a human construct. And I was just brought up with so much religious bullshit that it, it made me probably more skeptical than if I weren't. Honestly, if I were brought up in a less religious household, I'd probably be a bit more agnostic, but it just like kind of, I don't know. It put me into this certain mindset of just being more skeptical of, you know, religious institutions just because of the brainwashing I saw them do and stuff. But I kind of liken that to, you know, when you hear the CIA, uh, the CIA say something or you see these same type of people go after someone you know on a witch hunt and it's always the same type of people like you said it's the people who have never succeeded in anything in their lives and don't feel good about themselves like you sh to me like i'm not just agnostic about whether or not the claim they're making is true i'm very skeptical because i've seen what they've done in the past and usually they're pretty specific accusations that a lot of them end up being false, especially if we're talking about the State Department or the CIA with foreign countries, you know, like, I mean, you and I both were taken by surprise when Putin actually invaded Ukraine. And I think both you and I weren't just like, hmm, I don't know if Putin will invade Ukraine. Both you and I were kind of like, nah, I really don't think he's going to do it just because you guys have lied to us so much about everything. So the kind of default uh response is to be like mm, i really mm, I, you guys are going to need to provide yeah. some substantial evidence and i i think that that was actually good like it sucked that we got you know we got that one wrong or whatever but i was i didn't really feel bad about it i was like there's there's tons of reasoning for me to think that way about this it's not like yeah this was an you know an arrogant ignorant position to take if you look throughout history well, at everything they've lied about so i just think people when you see a source that repeatedly lies all the time or is always telling, you know, just part of the truth to, um, you know, put something in a certain light, like just be skeptical of them. And I don't know, people just take anything they hear now about some so-and-so did this or this dictator is going to do this or did this, you know, they just believe it still. And I'm just like, what is it going to take for you guys to you know, start questioning this stuff? But yeah and and look i mean i'll i'm i'll be the first to admit and i've said this publicly many times that i, I look i was wrong i did not think that putin was yeah. about to invade Me ukraine too. and i was taken by surprise that he did i didn't think it was going to happen right now i didn't i didn't necessarily think he never would or it was an impossibility i sure. just didn't see any real evidence that it was about to come um but you know in hindsight i was wrong and mm -hmm. he did and you know okay it's fine to admit that. But it is interesting how that gets spun by so many people is like, oh, this is this great. Oh, look, you got it completely wrong. And you're like, well, OK, I mean, if you're talking about like the, the CIA and the State Department and these people who are saying this, I mean, these yeah, who are has people a better, who, have gotten, who has a better track like, record. I'll put my resume of what, <laughs> yeah. who was right about what and who was wrong about what up against yeah. any of theirs, you know, any day. I mean, just measure me over the yeah. last eight years that I've been on the, a big podcast talking about this shit. OK, fine. I mean, I've been 
right about a lot, not right about everything. But also, it's not even like they were right. I mean, what they predicted was that Vladimir Putin was about to launch a huge false flag attack and claim that Ukraine attacked them as a pretense to go into a war with Ukraine. And none of that ever happened. And then they've made all of these, like, you know, predictions about, like, chemical attacks and all of this other stuff, none of which has happened, at least yet. So they've also been wrong about this whole thing. You know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, truthfully, even though I'd say Scott Horton also got that part of it wrong, that me and you got wrong. I think he's been the one who's probably his predictions have held the best out of anyone's. I mean, he, he was the one who was predicting that, you know, uh, always talking about the yet means yet, uh, fucking, uh, uh, comment and always talking about how that since 2014, this has been an incredibly dangerous game that America has been playing with Ukraine and America and NATO and the whole Western kind of, you know, uh, world order. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not like anyone's been exactly perfect on this, but I don't think they've been any better than we've been. And it, it, as far as what you're saying, like with all this, the, the demonizing of different enemies. Yeah. I mean, if, if there's somebody who, or, or some organization that is known liars that have lied over and over again, then I think when they tell you that somebody did something, you know, this horrible thing, I, I think, come on, after a while, you got to learn to take that with, you know, the amount of seriousness that it warrants. And this is, it, it's crazy. It's so like, uh, it's infuriating because I know people who will even like, um, you know, right wingers who will be like, uh, yeah, you know, the CIA set up Donald Trump and they lied about this and that and the other thing. And then the CIA goes, well, Iran did this or China did yeah. this. And they go, well, yeah, yeah. you got to go get them. And you're like, but wait, <laughs> yeah. why would you trust those same people who, you know, have lied about all this other shit? Um, but I guess maybe that's part of the human condition or something. But... Yeah, I mean. It's really infuriating to see it in libertarian circles because libertarians are supposed to be better at this. You're supposed to be skeptical of the narrative in general. You're supposed to base your opinions on facts and things that have been proven to you. Mm-hmm. And that's really the the ugly thing about this is the whole guilty until proven innocent thing. Like, well, someone said this about you, so you are guilty until you prove yourself innocent and you know that's what red flag laws are i mean that's the whole point of red flag laws like you can get your guns back if you can prove that you weren't about to commit this crime oh what the fuck is that so i mean libertarians are against that right because it's the you know it's turning habeas corpus up on its end but you know when it comes to these witch hunts they're just they just pile yeah. on and go with it it's like so I, why are you not seeing this disconnect here you know yeah so i'm just making that connection now to uh to to the point you're making but let me okay let me say a few things on that number 1 to the more broad point that you're making um i think libertarians should even look at it from a way uh you know bigger picture than that and <coughs> excuse me this was something that Rothbard covered in, uh, I believe, in, in For a New Liberty. But look, the idea of like innocent until proven guilty is such a farce under the current like statist regime. Yeah. Like, forget even like red flag laws. Just the fact that, look, if you really believe someone is innocent until they're proven guilty in a court of law, well, then, like, what the fuck is arresting someone? You know? 
throwing them in fucking in chains and then throwing them into a cage. So you're throwing an innocent person, innocent until proven guilty, right? So you're doing that to an innocent person. And do you know what happens in our judicial system? I mean, people wait in prison for years before trial. Yeah. Like before they even get a chance. This is half the reason why so many people cop to whatever plea a prosecutor is offering. Because they're going to go to jail anyway. They're going to do years, quite possibly, before they even get a chance to defend themselves. It's a goddamn travesty, dude. It's like the whole... And then, you know, as far as the more specific things in libertarian circles that this relates to, I just, you know... God damn, dude, I'm like in a fucked up situation, which, um, I mean, I love it. I love that I'm like, uh, that I've grown my audience enough and that I've become a big enough figure in this because I love that I get to speak to a lot of people. That's always been what I want to do in as far as the, the libertarian game is concerned. I've always been like, yeah, I want to talk to as many people as possible and tell them about this shit because I think I can convince a lot of people. And so the more people I'm talking to, the better. But then there's this thing that's kind of annoying about it is that it comes with this thing where like, so say there's like, hypothetically speaking, like an accusation against like a really good person who you know, that's, you know, complete bullshit. And well, then what can I do? I mean, if I talk about it, then I just put way more eyeballs on it than would have otherwise even seen it. So I don't even want to address some of this shit because it's like, fuck, now I'm just going to like way more people will know about this than otherwise would have if I had never even mentioned it. But then I'm frustrated because all I really want to do is go tear this apart and tear apart the case that's been made. Um, but I'll say this. Um, if you're the idea that there's this presumption of innocence that libertarians is the absolute cornerstone of libertarianism. You know, like if you don't have a presumption of innocence, then you do not have liberty. I don't care what you say. Be like, oh, people are free, but as soon as I accuse you of something, you lose all your freedom. Well, then you don't have freedom, right? And okay, if we're talking about the state throwing someone in a cage, yes, there should be a higher standard for that than there should be for just say being fired or being like, you know, having your reputation tarnished or something like that. But if we believe that, then still for someone's like reputation being tarnished or losing their job or whatever, um, there should still be some standard. I mean, we don't really have any sense of liberty if all it takes is one accusation with nothing to back it up and you're ruined, right? Yeah. Like the, There's still in that area should be some presumption of innocence. Now, maybe it doesn't have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, whatever exactly that means in the status construct, but there, should, there should, still should be something like you don't just ruin somebody for not it, it, for an accusation. And I will say this, not getting into any more specifics than this, but if you are acu- like, let's say there was a, a married couple and they get divorced and the, the woman says, Hey, 20 plus years ago, this guy did something wrong. What are we supposed to do with that? I mean, he says, no, I didn't. And she says, yes, you did. You go, well, I mean, there's no actual evidence being presented here. This is 20 plus years old. It's a he said, she said, I'm not, obviously you can't fucking throw someone in jail or something like that if she's alleging some type of criminal activity because there's just no evidence. Um, but 
I think in terms of like ruining somebody or trying yeah. to tarnish their reputation, you just go, there's really nothing we can do here because it's a he said, it's unfortunate because you're, you're trying to control for two errors, right? One error would be this actually happened right. and we're not punishing the guy. The yep. other error would be this didn't happen and we are punishing the guy. I, I don't know. They're both <laughs> concerns, right? But yeah. if, if we have nothing other than she said versus he said, 20 plus years ago, some crime happened. What, what are we supposed to do with that? My inclination on that is that in that situation, you have to err on the presumption of innocence, that yeah. you're not going to ruin someone with no evidence. Now, let's say, hypothetically, you don't have that woman's word. She hasn't said anything criminal happened 20 years ago, but someone else comes in and says, hey, 20 plus years ago, something criminal happened. Well, then obviously you have to err on the presumption of innocence. Now let's take that one step further and say the other person isn't even saying something criminal happened. She's saying something inappropriate happened 20 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. This is what normal people would call nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And the <laughs> idea of even trying to like damage someone's reputation over that is like, despicable especially if you didn't even know whether the woman involved wanted you to do this i yeah. like it's just so it's so nothing and anyway that's the most i'll say about a hypothetical situation well we can use one that head. we can use one that a lot well let me just say one more one more sure. thing on uh, on this is that there there is something really like when people come out and i could kind of understand someone saying like oh, some questions have been raised and i'd like to know more about this but also i don't know if you really have the right to know more it's not really your business and that's that and if there's no victim or something like that but there's one of the horrible things and this is why so many of uh, and and forget taking this outside of libertarian circles or any specific incident there's um it's a very common tactic right to call somebody uh you know uh a racist, a sexist, a xenophobe, a transphobe, whatever all the names are is because, and, and, and particularly like in the Me Too movement type shit, accusing somebody of some type of like horrible thing is that it has this effect and people know about this. Noam Chomsky talked about this back in like the fucking 80s that if someone calls you a Nazi, well, what's your response? I'm not a Nazi. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now you're the guy saying I'm not a Nazi. That's not a really good position to be in, you know, yeah. and it, it leaves people in this thing where it, it creates almost like this doubt in their mind, like maybe he is, maybe he's not, he's been accused of it. And it's such a fucked up thing to do that. I think a, to me, a decent person, particularly a libertarian, you go, you should really like appreciate the weight of some of these accusations. And you definitely don't just throw that out there unless you're damn sure that you have fucking evidence that this is absolutely the truth. And I think people who do that without having even a shred of evidence about it are like the scummiest fucking people imaginable. Yeah, well, I was going to say there's a situation that's getting a ton of publicity right now with uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And yeah. I don't even typically give a fuck about any of this Hollywood bullshit. I didn't even know this came out a couple of years ago. I just seen the headlines lately. So I kind of read the story and I know the trial is still ongoing. So we don't know everything about what happened, but like he, I, I guess there's a sixth pirates of the Caribbean movie, which by the way, that in itself is like, come on guys, six, like <laughs> five was pushing it. Six it seems ridiculous. unnecessary. <laughs> I've never seen but, one of them to be honest, yeah, but yeah, but uh 
like I guess Johnny Depp lost his role in the sixth Pirates of the Caribbean movie over this two years ago when it was just an accusation uh, where I get I, I think he wasn't even mentioned by name. It was just Amber Heard was she released an article where she talked about domestic abuse or whatever, and he wasn't mentioned by name, but he lost his deal with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean over this. And now we're just finding out a couple years later that there's a much more complicated story behind this, that she was awful to him. It's not even clear that he actually ever abused her. So, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of just a perfect mainstream example of people jumping on and canceling and destroying someone's life over someone just saying something without any evidence and then finding out later, Oh shit, you know, maybe we weren't, maybe we were wrong here. Or at least we didn't have the whole picture. So yeah. I think Whoopsie. everyone paying attention to that can, should be learning from it. Yeah, I think so. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, I really have not been paying attention to the trial that closely. I've seen like a few of the clips that I'm sure a bunch of people have seen that were pretty hilarious and all that. But to <laughs> me, at least what I have deduced from the situation, and I, I again, I, I have not followed this super closely, so people can correct me if I'm wrong. But what it seems like is that there's like an accusation made that there's this guy who is an abuser. And, and far too often, I think it's something that's really a shame about our, uh, our current, you know, culture that people love to just kind of place things in these very neat boxes, like oppressor versus oppressed. And, you know, this is the, the group who's wrong and this is the group who's been wronged mm -hmm. and real life is, is very rarely that neat. It, it just, it, you know, and, and, and you see this all the time with like kind of like um, the progressive, um, you know, oppressor versus oppressed, you know, worldview. Yeah. You know, whether it's black versus white or straight versus gay or, you know, cis versus trans or whatever it, it might be. And, you know, it's just it's really kind of stupid once you start to examine it. There's far more nuance to all of this shit. I mean, you know. I don't know, is like, if there's there's like a trans person who uh, is the, you know, was, was as two parents who stayed together their whole lives and were a really loving family and they were millionaires. And then there's like, what, some cis, you know, and, and even make the trans person like a person of color or whatever, you know, like, a, and then there's some cis person who is like, born into like a divorced you know parents whose mother abused them you know I, I mean like this happens all the time there's examples of both of them is it so clear-cut who's like in the like my you know oppressed mm -hmm. minority group and who's not no it's not it's very complicated and so in this example you have someone being accused like oh okay this guy was abusive to his girlfriend that's the accusation and then everyone goes oh my god he is bad guy she is victim and at least what's clear so far, and I don't know, you know, the the exact truth, and none of us do, and none of us probably ever will, no matter right. what happens in this trial. But at least what's clear so far is it's like, yeah, 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 this is far more complicated than that. What's really going on here is you have people who are in a crazy relationship, you know, yeah. and that's that's like what hap it, it, what the truth is about a lot of these situations. That it's like, oh, you know, uh, Kamala Paglia, you know who she is. 
Kamal pa- uh, Camille Paglia. I might be saying her name wrong. But she's a really interesting uh, woman. She was like this hardcore feminist in the 70s and then oh, got okay. completely drummed out of the feminist movement because she was just like too real. And she wrote this book, Sexual Persona. Um, it's a really interesting uh, thinker. So wrong about a lot of shit, I think, but really interesting. Really interesting to listen to, too. Um, but she talked about how like she was talking about it. She, she was like, look, women in like abusive relationships like and and she gave a caveat of like there's exceptions to this i'm not talking about like dirt poor people or like dirt poor immigrants who come over who feel like there's no escape or something like that and there are situations where it's like i'll fucking kill you if you leave you know type things but she was like the vast majority of like middle class to upper class uh like women who are born in a first world country living in the 21st century who are like in an abusive relationship it's like the vast majority of the time you're at least participating in this craziness. It's not all the time. It's not an iron law. It's not always true, but a large percentage of the time, like what is it like, you know, if a guy hits you, what like hits you? Holy shit. I mean, how many like women do we know just in our like world? Like what? who might put up with a lot. I mean, maybe they'd accept like, you know, take a guy back after he cheated or wasn't good to her, was shitty, but hits you. Here's the option, leave. And then she goes, Paglia was like, okay, maybe you forgive him one time, but the second time it happens, you are gone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But so if you're in one of these relationships, you're talking about people who are multimillionaires, you know, very privileged people by any reasonable standard. And you're staying in a relationship over and over and over again where these things are happening over and over. Odds are you're both participating in some type of crazy dynamic. Now, again, not an iron rule, but more often the case than not. And you see that in this case. I mean, I don't know what the fucking truth is here, but like she's shit in his bed and cut his (laughs) finger off. And like he's doing all this crazy shit and he's talking about he'll fucking... You know, like he'll use her throat for something not to kill her and all this. You're like, this is a fucking you guys are involved in a crazy relationship where you're both participating in this craziness. And that it it's when just the accusation comes out, it's very easy to make it like this black and white thing. But really, the truth is far more complex and nuanced than that. that that's what it seems like to me. But again, I, I don't I don't exactly know the details. Yeah, and this is a beautiful parallel with what's going on with Ukraine right now. You know, you're you're taught that Ukraine is just a victim and that NATO is just a victim and that Russia is just the bad guy, just the aggressor. And if you start peeling the onion back, you find out, oh, wow, that's not true at all. Like there's been a coup that the United States did in Ukraine and then tried to kick Russia out of its naval base in Sevastopol. Like, hmm. That seems like important information. I mean, this is one of the things I was talking with my uncle about. He had no idea of course not. about yeah. the history of the United States aggression against Ukraine, expanding NATO all the way up to their doorstep, uh, ripping up the INF Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty. You know, like there's a lot of shit here that if you actually look at it, it's like, oh, dang, you know, maybe this isn't quite as cut and dry. Um, but it's interesting to me that in both situations, people tend to just jump on that black and white abuser victim, you know, demonize the villain. It's just, it's the same thing, just on a different level. 
Yeah, and then often I think will get accused of of being that black and white. You know, like yeah. people will be like, "Oh, <laughs> so you just yeah. you know you just support Putin and what he's doing or something." I'm like, "Well, no, I've never said any of that." It's like what Putin's doing is very wrong. Like they're they're killing people right now. Yeah. It's horrible. I don't think Putin should have invaded. And I also why would had... we why would we be happy that our prediction was wrong? And then right. also it makes it a little bit harder to make an anti-war case because imagine yeah. if he hadn't invaded, it would have been perfect. It would have been like, see, they're just lying to you. It would have been beautiful. So the idea well, that if we you wanted, wanted to defend him, Putin, right? No, yeah. I mean, and that was that was many of our uh, feelings. It certainly was my feeling when he yeah. first fucking invaded and particularly when he started marching west after he it left like the kind of yeah. the Donbass region where you're like, yeah, okay, that's not that. But then I remember once, we were once texting that night. Marching, I was like, oh, marching shit, west, you go, here it goes. Oh, this, yeah. is a, this is death. Yeah. This is so bad for all of us who are trying to make the anti-war argument because now it's so easy to just paint this guy as this fucking monster and all this. And well, all I'm saying is like, well, he is a monster and what he's doing is wrong. But come on, let's look at all of the historical context here in the yeah. same way that like, you know, if some fucking it, it's almost like, like you're saying to make the comparison. It's like if some chick like rushed a dude with a knife. You know, a little tiny girl rushed a dude with a knife and then he fucking snatched the knife and threw her down on the ground and then just starts kicking her when she's down. And you'd be like, oh, fuck. And, and then all everyone sees is him kicking her when she's down. And they go, this right. guy's a monster. And you're like, okay, well, yes, he, it's completely inexcusable that he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, it's you should also know <laughs> that this chick rushed him with a knife. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that makes it okay that he's stomping her on the ground. Like, that's wrong. But also, you know, like, if you want to really know what's going on here, you should see that first part too. So that's kind of like the the battle that we're in is trying to bring this perspective of what's really going on here but we get accused of it all the time by you know the oh you're on the side of the ayatollah or you're on the side of hamas or you're on the side of putin or any of this and it's yeah. like well no it's just that people are handed a completely bullshit one-sided you know, inaccurate funhouse mirror view of this whole thing. Yeah. And we're trying to say, well, look, there's all this other information too. But real life is far more complicated than than any anytime anyone's going, this is team good and this is team evil, they are not telling you the truth. Yeah. Well, to kind of wrap up the episode, let's talk about Reno. That's uh, just about a month away, a little under a month away. I am a delegate for Utah, so I will be there and I'll be voting. No, you're going to be there too. But are you excited? Or are you feeling optimistic about the the reset? I know in my state, I think we have 13 delegates. Ten of them were Mises Caucus guys, and then the other two or three guys were not, you know, opposed to us at all. Um, and it sounds like I'm hearing that a lot from other states that that's taken place. Um, but are you feeling good about what's coming, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm feeling like unbelievably good about what's happening. And I, you know, I'm always like a little bit nervous. Like I'm fucking like, you know, I'm I'm a realist when it comes to all this stuff. And I'm always like, you know, in my conversations with Michael Heiss and like other people, I'm like, okay, how are they going to screw us? You tell me yeah. like, what's it going to be? Because I know more shit's coming. I know there's going to be a whole yeah, lot right. of like fucking, I don't believe that they're, they have uh, emptied out their last you know, attempt at some type of corrupt fucking like, you know, attempt to squash this whole thing. But I don't think it's going to work. Mm -hmm. I think they're I think that um, 
I think that the the Reno reset is happening, and at this point, there's basically nothing anyone can do about it. And I'm so goddamn excited about this. I mean, I, I cannot overstate it. It is since 2012, when Ron Paul, or maybe 2011, when Ron Paul decided to run for president again, this is the best goddamn thing that has happened to the liberty movement. It's going to be incredible. It is going to be so awesome when we're in the position where we don't have to constantly be telling people that we believe in liberty because we're libertarians and... Yeah, but not like the Libertarian Party says, no, 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 not exactly like that. No, that message was really off, and that was really bad, yeah. and that candidate was really bad, and that was it. But what we believe is this, and we can just go, yes, this is our home, and everything they're saying, this is exactly what we're, we're for. It's going to be just like the Ron Paul days again, man. I can't fucking wait for it. It's going to be incredible. And um, I've just... Well, I'm, I'm telling you, man, like once once Angela is the chair of this party and it's really like the the libertarian, like the liberty movement is really represented by the libertarian party. I'm like, I'm so excited about what we can accomplish here. And I think that it's not as simple as like some people break it down. It's not about just like, oh, well, we'll win 51 percent of the population or something like that. The truth is no one wins 51 percent of the population. 51% of the population, you know, barely even votes in yeah. in most election in most elections. But the truth is that we have an enormous opportunity right now to shape the conversation and of, you know, uh push the Overton window and affect the cultural dynamic in this country. It's like it's like the greatest opportunity we've ever had. And I think um objectively, the greatest opportunity that people who believe in liberty have ever had is, exists right now. And also, we're up against the greatest threat we've ever been up against, at least in my lifetime. Yeah. So goddamn, I'm excited that now we're, we're going to have a base, like a home base of what really represents our views. I think it's going to be incredible. And Reno itself is going to be a goddamn fun time. So anyone who's out there, man, if you're, if you're a delegate, make sure you get yourself to Reno. And if you're having trouble, reach out to me. Or reach out to Reed or reach out to, to Michael Heiss or somebody. We'll make sure that fucking we figure it out. Get out there to Reno. It's going to be an incredible time. And also, I'm doing comedy shows out there and a live podcast. So come out to that on Thursday, the 26th. That should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, there, there are still a lot of people who are like I was a year and a half ago, um, you know, who might not be part of the Mises Caucus, but they're not bitch fuck cucks as i coined them yep. you know they're they're not yep. they're not antagonistic you know drags on the system who are just there to protect, protect their ridiculously small dynasty of power that they've created in the libertarian party there are some people who just aren't tribal and like they don't really care about the caucuses and you know they're fine a like, lot people... a lot of people like that yeah and um you know, I certainly see like a big difference between someone like Nick Sarwark and Justin Amash, you know, and some people don't see a difference, but like someone like Justin Amash has been really good on the COVID stuff, really good on the Russia, Ukraine stuff, really good on, uh, you know, the ministry of truth stuff that's happening right now. Like, no, oh, he's been if great you can on pair, everything. Yeah. If you compare him, I mean, he sucked on the impeachments. That's really just about it. But if you compare his record with like, these people with the Ukrainian flags in their bio who are just talking about how Putin needs to be sanctioned and, you know, trans rights are human rights. And that's the most important thing in the world. Like there's just no comparison. So 
I would just ask people in the Mises caucus to remember that not everyone who's not in your group is your enemy. And then I also want to tell the people who aren't in the Mises caucus who do care about liberty more than anything else, we're not your enemy either. <laughs> you know, like there yeah. is, we're on the same team here. If you care about advancing liberty and advancing the Libertarian Party, then I'm on your side, you're on my side. It's the people who don't put that first, who care yeah. about their stupid little social experiment they're doing and don't want to be taken seriously Dude. that need to get out of the way. And they have, for the most part, like you said, they're probably going to have some final death throw, but, you Dude, know. Dude, 100%. <laughs> Yeah. And and by, and I've been saying this at, in every speech I give. I'll say this in my speech at Reno. I mean, this is yeah. like every every single speech that I give. I've, I've been around to like a ton of these LP state conventions. This is what I've been saying. It's look, the, the truth is this, right? You don't have to think that Justin Amash's messaging is perfect. You don't have to think that the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire's messaging is perfect. Like, you don't have to think Jeremy Kaufman's messaging is perfect. Or you don't have to think, like, we all can have disagreements. My mm -hmm. honest, truthful opinion, I don't think either of their messaging is perfect. You know? I don't even mm -hmm. think my messaging is perfect, but I think it's better than those guys. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's because I'm me. You know? It's my own. But the truth is that, like, Jeremy Kaufman's fucking awesome. And Justin mm -hmm. Amash is fucking awesome. And Spike Cohen is fucking awesome. And the vast, vast, vast majority of people in the Libertarian Party are just great. Like, they're great people who really believe in human liberty, who are, like, really committed to this cause. And some people have different strengths. Some people is fucking, like, triggering all the statists. And then mm -hmm. some people's strength is, like, really ap appealing to, like, that middle-of-the-road average person. And then, some like, yeah. everyone's got their own different thing, you know? And then some people's strength isn't messaging at all. It's just, like... I don't know, organizing. Some people's strength is just that they're willing to go collect signatures in the rain and make sure Larry Sharp gets on the ballot in New York, you know, which is also really, really fucking important. Like there's yeah. all these different things. And the people that we're talking about, and that this is the downside, the upside of social media is we can reach more people than we've ever reached before. You know, the downside is that the people who want to stir up shit get the attention of a lot of people. What we're talking about we're talking about the purely negative, like, you know, fucking, you know, people who are just trying to tear everybody down who don't contribute anything to this movement. I, I exaggerate sometimes and I'll be like, oh, there's seven of them. But the reality is there's 50 of them. Mm -hmm. There's 50 of them. That's it. A few <laughs> of them control power. A few of them are on the LNC. The rest have nothing and they will all leave as soon as this whole as soon as the dust is settled and it doesn't matter at all the truth is the vast 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 majority of this party are fucking great people many of whom have competing visions about what the future should be but i will i will tell you man and i've, I've said this before and during and i'll say this after the reno reset that i want to listen to those people and try to gain as much of their like wisdom as i can and I think everyone else should have that attitude too. That this is not the the after Reno when the the dust settles and everyone gets over their like fucking you know, it's like oh my god there was a takeover and all this. It's like yeah yeah, yeah. okay well here's what okay. took over libertarianism. Mm -hmm. That's what took over the LP. So now we're ready to fucking get to work. And goddamn dude, I I just think it's gonna be fucking awesome, and I can't wait.
Hopefully yes, we don't all die right. in nuclear war before then. We might. <laughs> what is it, $38 billion in weapons? We might all die in nuclear war. But if we don't, if we don't, things are going to be great. Yeah, it's so funny seeing that uh, that number of, you know, in dollars that's being sent in aid to Ukraine right after everyone's complaining that Elon Musk isn't spending his money on something better. Like the U.S. Yeah. just sent almost the same amount of money to Ukraine like a day later and no one says anything. It's just it's well, isn't it funny, hilarious. too, but not even just that, but like the fact that it's like Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk. You, do you know what forty five billion dollars could have done? You know, all this stuff. Do you know what forty five billion dollars could have done? And then you're like, how about six trillion a year? Yeah. You, you know, you have a yeah. government that steals that money from you. So if all these wonderful things could be done, how come how come they're not being done yet? Oh, OK. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't blame Elon Musk for <laughs> trying to make Twitter a free speech platform. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I was like talking course, to brother. you and um, yeah, you've kind of, you know, I, in 2020, I was ready to give up on the Libertarian Party like. I was for, you know, I don't know if you remember that articles, a unity thing that sprung up at the last minute. Like I was entertaining that idea. I was like, I don't know. This is such a disaster. We don't have any central messaging. We don't seem to have any idea what the fuck we're trying to do. But I mean, yeah, I've done a 180 on that over the last year and a half. I've been really excited and uh, seeing you get on all the big shows. And, you know, I've been on Fox News now and seeing Clint go on. Uh, you know, Tim cast and all the, you know, Scott Horton's on Fox news almost all the time, you know, and he's going on uh, Jocko Willenick, just like seeing, yeah. you know, all of my friends and all these people I talked to getting all this publicity. It's really a white pill. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just really, really happy. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll say, man, like the same to you, like you, like the experience of kind of like meeting you and, and kind of like the way we've become like really good friends is really like opened my eyes too. And I think that I've, you know, someone said to me the other day, who was like, I think trying to take shots at me, like they were like, um, I don't know, they, they call me some type of names. And I was like, uh, dude, I'm just like, I'm not really interested in going back and forth with anyone who's like calling me a fucking racist or something like that. I don't fucking care. You know, I'm not a racist. And they were like, oh, you can't handle criticism. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, dude, I have like fucking genuinely very good friends of mine who I met as critics. Yeah. And like, you know, and, and that was something that was like very like eye opening to me too. Like that it's like, Oh yeah, a lot of times people who will, it's easy sometimes when there's so many like bad faith critics and like shitty people to be like, yeah, not everybody who's a critic is that. And actually there's probably way more of them who aren't that. Who and you know, so it's been a good experience, man, for me too and like I really appreciate everything like uh you know that you've done over the last couple of years. I love it, dude. I love watching you blow up and Clint blow up and like all the, all these people like, you know, and then all the people kind of like who are just like huge you know, Michael Malice and Eric July and Maj Ture and, you know, the fucking, like you said, Scott Horton and Tom Woods and like all these guys. It's a cool moment right now. It's a really interesting time. And yeah, things are really dire, but also at the same time, there's kind of more opportunity than ever. So fuck, I'm here for it. Let's yeah. let's make something happen. Yeah, man. All right, man. Well, where can people keep up with what you're doing? I know you got some shows coming up soon that you didn't have planned prior whatever, oh yeah so. I, oh yeah, yeah yeah that's a good point i just added uh uh some shows literally yesterday uh i jumped on this uh weekend of stand-up shows uh in uh rhode island 
uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, at the Comedy Connection. So two shows Friday night, two shows Saturday night. Come out there uh, to the Comedy Connection if you're in the Providence area. And then in Reno, um, the Thursday the 26th, the right before the convention, I got the, the stand-up and podcast shows sold out, but I added a late stand-up show. There's still, I think, like 40 tickets left for that one. So if you want to grab a ticket for that, uh, come on out. And then I'm in Chicago and Philly, and I got a bunch of other shit coming up. And I'll oh, and I'll be at Porkfest again. Oh, you year. will. So me too. Yes, just one day I'll be at Porkfest, and then I got to head out. But I'll be there. I'm doing a stand-up show and a live podcast. Oh, great. Well, I'll be there too. So anyone, if you want to go to Porkfest, and know it's filling up fast. I don't even know if there are any uh, spots left or anything I like no that. Idea. But Dave and I will be there. So definitely go. Uh, last thing I want to say, this is kind of for the audience and for Tulsi Gabbard. So Tulsi Gabbard, mm. you said you would come on my show over a year ago and I've texted you, I've texted your booker and I've been annoying. I've done it over and over again. I've given it like month long, you know, rests and no response. So I don't even know what to do anymore. Short of having Dan Smots make a video where he just autistically, you know, destroys you until you finally come on my show like he did to Dave Smith. But please come on my show. I will give you a fair shot. You know, I was one of your supporters. You're still to date the only politician I've ever given any money to. That's going to change when Dave Smith runs for president in 2024. But please come on my show. I know I'm not as big as Sean Hannity, but I'll let you talk. I won't just shove CIA talking points down your throat. <laughs> I actually, and I'm not going to ask you about transgender sports teams or some stupid cultural thing like i've got real questions about the warfare state and you know i've been really inspired by how you've stood up against this whole ukrainian narrative you know all the bullshit that's going on i do disagree with you on stuff um but i was upfront about it to your face when i was on your campaign we had lots of arguments face to face so Please come on my show. And anyone watching, if you want Tulsi to come on my show, I think it's time we just annoy her. So go tag her on Twitter. If you're on Locals or whatever, just say, hey, Tulsi, go on Reed's show, and we'll see if we can make it happen. But yeah, I think that's that's good advice. And and Tulsi, if I could speak to you, um, and I know I, I don't know you personally, but we've messaged before and stuff. And listen, you need to go do Reed Coverdale's show. You do not want Dan Smoltz unleashed on you. <laughs> I know this from personal experience. You will never recover, Tulsi Gabbard. You're a fine woman and a, a great ambassador for the anti-war movement. Come on Reed Coverdale's show. Once Dan Smoltz gets a hold of you, you'll never be the same. Please, come on The Naturalist Capitalist. You'll love it. And also, he'll be real cool to you. You'll have a fun time. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. We'll do it again soon, and we'll see you at Reno. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.